0: This is Hemant Mehta for the Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you like what you're listening to, you can always go to patreon.com slash podcast. I'm doing a special episode this week. We'll have our regular episode with Jessica in a few days, but for this midweek episode, I wanted to elaborate on a project I brought up last weekend, which is this book that I've been working on for more than a year with a writer, Camille Berejik. Um, I'm going to talk to Camille in just a moment, but uh, just to give you a quick recap, the book is called Queer Disbelief, and it's all about the atheist movement and the LGBTQ movement, and where they overlap and where they don't, and why atheists ought to be vocal advocates for LGBTQ rights and how we we know how religion hurts the lgbtq movement but sometimes it helps too and as atheists we ought to acknowledge when that is going on so that that is the that is what the book is all about camille has done a phenomenal job of writing it and before i get into the interview i'll just put this up front if this project sounds like something you would be interested in please go to kickstarter.com, do a search for Queer Disbelief, and you will find the project. You could pre-order a copy right now, and it's something different. We're trying to fundraise to finish up the book and publish it and get it into your hands. It's something I haven't done before, but it's something I'm really excited about, and I'll be saying that along the way throughout this interview. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll have our regularly scheduled episode in a few days. Camille, thank you for being with me right now. And I guess just to start off, can you just give us a brief description about who you are and what this book is about?
1: Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so I have a background in both journalism and uh, gender studies and LGBTQ issues. So uh, as you know, I've been writing about um, about LGBTQ rights for uh, for close to eight years now, I suppose. Um, so. This book came to be because I've been writing for your site for a long time about how these two issues overlapped, um, and be- between the two of us, we thought that, uh, that you know, LGBTQ issues really do play a central role in so many of the, um, of the big secular issues that we talk about today, but for some reason, we don't always make those overlaps very clear. So in this book, I really wanted to talk about the ways that religion has affected LGBTQ people, uh, both the... Um, the good ways and the bad ways, because there really are a lot of both, and then go over the ways that atheists can uh, can make a positive difference in the lives of LGBTQ folks.
0: And by the way, I am going to ask several leading questions here since I have read the book in advance, but I'm really curious, a lot of atheists I know have said, you know, our movements are parallel. The atheist world can learn a lot from the LGBTQ rights movement. And there's a lot of overlap since, you know, we all have to uh, deal with the struggle of coming out. And there is a lot of uh, pushback from, say, the religious right. So I know that overlap is there. But can you give me an example of a place where it's just not the same. And it would be wrong for any atheist to say, you know, we're just like the LGBTQ movement.
1: Sure. So uh, one thing I think is that we see way more visible and active um, public LGBTQ communities than we do atheist communities, which you could say is, you know, a good thing or a bad thing, depending on on your perspective. But you're not going to find like an atheist neighborhood or an atheist bar necessarily the way that you would a, a gay bar or a gay neighborhood in a particular town. So one way that we see that really manifests is in uh, hate crimes data and actual violence that breaks out against LGBTQ people. So consistently, um, hate crimes against LGBTQ folks are one of the uh, highest incidences of hate crimes that happen in the U.S. And hate, car- hate crimes in the States against atheists are virtually non existent exist in there's you know you can count them on one hand every year basically so that parallel you couldn't actually make in a place um like in a country abroad there's a lot of places where atheists and and lgbtq folks uh, face comparable amounts of violence um but in the united states that's one parallel that you really can't make
0: i mean there we had that horrible pulse nightclub tragedy that happened more than a year ago but you probably wouldn't see anything like that comparably for atheists, because it's not like we really gather that often.
1: Exactly. And you don't don't also, you know, you don't get politicians um, at at the highest levels of government also speaking about atheism the way that you do um, see them speaking about LGBTQ people. And we we have reason to believe, you know, that evangelical politicians um, who are are so deeply rooted in fundamental, uh, like fundamental Christianity, really, uh, are probably not the biggest fans of, of atheists and atheism, uh, but they don't voice things like that as um, as adamantly as they do voice their, um, their opposition to equality for LGBTQ people.
0: One of the things I was really struck by in the book is that you have talked to many people who are both very religious, and not just like a you know a liberal Christian, but they are very devout in very different religions, and they are gay or bisexual or transgender. It, was there anything similar about any of those people in terms of uh, how they reconciled that in their own minds? Because I think a lot of atheists would say you can't be a Christian and in a committed you know, gay relationship because the Bible says that's not allowed. Uh, We'll say that. It's easier for us to say that from the outside, but they found a way to make it work. And I'm wondering if you talk to someone who's Muslim and LGBTQ or Jewish and LGBTQ, what is it that they all have in common that, that atheists are not seeing who are saying these things? Yeah. So
1: what they all have in common is that they all see their religion as, more than just the standards prescribed in in a holy text that they may or may not relate to, um, so I try to talk to people from um, from a good variety of faith backgrounds. Some of them more more devout and more conservative than others, and the common thread that I found through all them is they said, like, yes, perhaps one interpretation of the Bible or the Quran or what have you might say this, but that's not what my God means to me, or that's not what my religious community means to me or has said to me. And, you know, people have seen that in finding uh, maybe like leaders or um, or figures in their faith groups who have openly said that they are supportive of people like them. Maybe it's because they came out in a religious environment and people there were supportive of them. I think, you know, it's sort of a, it's sort of a cliche to say that like faith looks different for everybody or identity looks different for everybody. Um, but we really know, you know, that by now there is no singular way that people practice faith. And so that means that for somebody who has known from the very beginning, um, that being LGBTQ in a conservative faith background might've been an issue. They've been thinking through these things for a long time and really made the decisions very intentionally about how how what faith was going to mean to them um, and how they were going to be able to, to hold those identities at once
0: when you were writing this book was there one chapter in particular that just was a struggle to get through maybe you weren't sure how to research it or you weren't sure what to make of it and it just took you a while
1: Oh, man. I mean, this entire thing was such a journey because... I mean, a lot of it is rooted in data, which changes all the time. So there was always um, the process of going back and making sh- making sure that um, that everything was being represented in the most correct way possible. I think you know the biggest thing was that in each in each chapter, I made sure to at least profile one or two of the people that I had um, big conversations with, and I wanted to make sure that I was doing justice to those stories and that I was representing them honestly and fairly. And a lot of times that meant taking out the biases that I might have about religion and my thoughts on organized religion and making sure that I was, you know, not not inserting stories as like a a pawn really to to further my own opinion about the issue, but to actually let people speak for themselves and say, like, this is this is another person who has their own experience and it's in their own words. And I'm not here to twist it to support my point or not. Um, Just take this person for um, for what they say and sort of interpret it yourself. So throughout the whole process, I think that was what I wanted to be the most careful about.
0: Was there anyone you talked to where uh, he or she said something that was uh, you did not see coming from a mile away? You had no idea people had that opinion? Mm -hmm.
1: About no idea. I know that the thing that that most gave me pause and made me really stop and reflect, um, and also I think was phrased in a way that I don't hear very often. So I spoke to a a, a transgender man who uh, was um, a very devout Catholic who talked about how, you know, he knows, he's he's thought through, like I said, he's thought through all the ways that Catholicism can be oppressive to LGBTQ people. He he feels called to be a priest, but he doesn't know that there's ever going to be a place for him. Um, And he said that, you know, To him, his religion is sort of is very similar to being trans and that he can't prove to anybody that Catholicism is the right way to be or that believing in God is the right thing to do. He just knows that it brings him peace and that it brings him joy to practice faith in that way, just like he can't prove to anybody that he's a man, um, despite being assigned female at birth you know he says i have i have quote-unquote female dna you know if you look at me from a chromosomal or biological perspective uh, the proof i have that i am a man is that this is what brings me peace and comfort and joy just like my you know my catholicism and my faith uh bring me those same things so to me that was a really striking parallel the concept of having to prove identity in one of the those um two ways whether it's um faith or gender or sexuality. I had, I had never thought about it that way.
0: So it sounds like in that case, if let's say uh, that person was living in a city where they're trying to pass a bathroom bill to stop trans people from going to the right bathroom as an atheist, I I would just be thinking like the only reason you would say no to that is presumably for religious reasons. Uh, But it sounds like if I criticized religion as part of the problem, I may not be helping that person that you talk to, or at least I would be rubbing that person the wrong way. And I'm wondering, like, what's the approach then? Because I want to be an ally for that person's rights, and I want to fight for those rights. But it seems to me like the people who are blocking those rights are religious. So, like, what's the best way for me to respond to that? What should I be criticizing?
1: Well, you know, even people who are, are religious themselves, it doesn't necessarily mean for, for most of them. Even it does not mean that they're in favor of religious discrimination. So people who um, who do practice some kind of faith, a lot of them also want other people to be allowed to practice their faith in their own way. You know, if you're if you're a Christian, you don't want laws of Judaism or uh, of Islam to, um, to to govern the way that you live your life. Just like if you're an atheist, you don't want to have to ascribe by rules of, of any particular faith. So, being religious doesn't mean that you want to impose your own beliefs on everybody else. For some people, it does, and there's certain right. people. There are definitely many people who, who abuse it and take advantage of it. Um, but the progressive um, and LGBTQ-friendly people who I spoke to said, "Yes, you know, you can be both of those things at once. You can have your own faith, but also respect and advocate for the rights of other people to practice theirs or to practice none at all if that's what they'd rather do."
0: So one of the questions that I had for you is, if people read this book, and we'll have a link to this in the notes, and I'm going to uh, talk about it at the end too, if they read Queer Disbelief, what do you hope they get out of it? Who's the audience, and what do you hope different audiences get out of it?
1: So the audience is definitely people who somewhat identify with uh, with atheism or with being uh, humanist or secular, somewhere in the realm of um unbelief. It's actually more for folks who are on the on the side of being heterosexual and or uh, cisgender, which means that they are not transgender. Um, it's for people who have never really thought about LGBTQ rights as something that they would personally get deeply invested in, um, but who who are at least somewhat interested in the issue, who realize that in this day and age in Trump's America, it's incredibly important for each of us to take a stand for the things that we believe in. And maybe they believe in this, but have never thought deeply about getting involved. Uh, But if you're anywhere on that spectrum where you even vaguely care a little bit about the well-being of other people, then I think that you'll get a lot out of this book.
0: And I've said this uh, to you. I've said this to when we've talked about this book elsewhere, but I've read a lot of atheist books. Some of them just kind of focus on trying to disprove the existence of God or at least respond to the arguments that religious apologists have made. Uh, For someone like me who has been an atheist for a while, it doesn't really do anything for me other than, oh, it's nice that this resource is out there. And I've read a lot of books that talk about how to even now raise kids when you're an atheist parent or, you know, deal with the world at large when you're an atheist. I have not seen a book that tackles so many different issues relating to these two worlds. And I learned a lot from it. And I don't say that very often where I can read a book and just keep turning page by page. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've never thought of it that way. Or I didn't know that was going on. So I know I appreciate uh, that all the work you did in putting into this book because there's so much interesting stuff that I never thought about before and I write about this stuff all the time so I I really appreciate that what did uh, when you finished writing the first draft of this book anyway I know we had a lot of revisions and stuff but when you finished the book uh, as a as someone who did something that is really hard to do, which is to write an entire book. How did you celebrate? I'm really curious about that.
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, it's, I, there's been a lot of little celebrations along the way to keep me going. I
0: mean,
1: <laughs> like I def- when it was all said and done and wrapped up and we got to the very end, I definitely went out and like got a slice of cake and a glass of champagne <laughs> at, at the dessert bar down the street from my house because that just felt fitting um but in general i think like i've been most excited to just tell people about it and- to, to say like, look, here's this thing I did. And more importantly, like, here are all these incredible people in the world, um, whose stories I get to share and, you know, who will hopefully help people, you know, change their minds and their hearts a little bit. I have been really waiting until I felt very proud of the final product to, um, to kind of not brag on it, but brag on it a little bit. Oh, (laughs) I think you should absolutely brag
0: (laughs) on it. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much. And it's so nice to hear you say all of those nice things. Cause I know that it, it was definitely like, it, it was a struggle because writing a book is a struggle and, and putting all of your thoughts onto, onto paper or onto screen at this point, um, can be difficult but i mean i'm still celebrating i'm i'm super excited about this and i'm really excited to get to share it with everybody
0: i i know i was excited when we posted the kickstarter because it means hey there's a thing now that you could point people to which is really neat and i know it's going to be exciting when the book is actually published and you get to open like a box of books for the first time which is a really neat thing and you get to hold an actual copy of it
1: oh, no. that's
0: really <laughs> neat too
1: I can't wait. I'm going to take so many pictures.
0: <laughs> it's so much fun. Have you? Uh, I know people haven't read the book yet because it's not out yet. We're still trying to fundraise to get kind of the last bit of it done in terms of making sure it looks nice, in terms of getting it printed. Uh, if anyone is listening, this is where we could really use your help because we have this final product, but it we need to get it in people's hands, and that's what we're doing with the fundraising. But. Uh, you have heard, I think, a little bit of feedback from people who have heard about the book somewhere or saw a few posts about it. And I want to ask you about some of the, the some of the criticisms that I've seen already because of, everyone's going to criticize everything all the time. Oh, but <laughs> of one of the first things I heard people <laughs> say is, what's up with the title? Because it's queer disbelief and queer sounds like a pejorative word. It does.
1: That's true. And I feel like You know, the queer conversation has been going on longer than I have been alive, and it will go on probably past when I am no longer on this earth. Um, (laughs) But so queer, uh, queer definitely has, I mean... Without a doubt, has its roots as a slur that was used primarily against um, the gay community, but also for a very long time, it's had a history of being reclaimed as a term of empowerment, of something that was that the community would actually gather around. So there was a group called Queer Nation decades ago that did um, that did activism shortly after the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, and that organized around like being out and proud, and and being queer, and taking back this word that was used against us. So I. Think you know? I I I really I do respect people who still have um you know like strong negative connotations to that word. Um, and I actually explain a little bit about the choice of the title and the choice of language in the book's introduction. So the the way that I see it is that I'm not going to ascribe the word queer to a particular person uh, if they haven't given me explicit uh, permission to do so, or if they don't use that word for themselves. But when we're talking about a broader topic area or looking at it in terms of, like, study or something like that. um, I think the word queer is accurate in that it means something is unusual, um, or at least uncommon, right? They're not necessarily the same thing. So being LGBTQ, like, yes, there are more openly LGBTQ folks than ever before, just like the number of open atheists in the country is growing. But both of those groups are still a minority. So it still is doing something that's a little a bit a little bit defiant and radical uh, to stand up and say I am different than what the mainstream is or than what my parents expected me to be or something like that so in that way, you know yes there are people who identify as queer who are also atheists um, but being being LGBTQ or being a non-believer uh, in a country that is still primarily straight people and people of faith uh, those things are pretty queer
0: and one other thing I've heard from people is... I'm an atheist, so why should I care about anything else? And these are people who are probably allies of LGBT rights, but they say, Who are you to tell me I'm an atheist, therefore I should care about this stuff? That's beyond the scope of what it means to be an atheist. Being an atheist means you don't care about God. That is that. And everything else uh, maybe stems from it, but it's not like that's not what being an atheist means. You can't say, Oh, you're an atheist, therefore you have to vote Democrat for example. Uh, So their response is, who are you to tell me I have to care about LGBTQ rights? Maybe I don't have to, Uh, because being an atheist doesn't have, it's not like there's a rule book that says if you're an atheist, you have to care about this. And this is kind of the question I brought to you at the very beginning, too. Why should atheists care about this?
1: Sure. So, I mean, you know, if you if you're asking who I am to tell you what to do, then, hey, if you're in New York, let's go get a cup of coffee and maybe we can talk it over. But if you, you're only hearing it from uh, from podcast purposes, uh, the reason you should care about this is because whenever an LGBTQ person is discriminated against or berated or belittled for something that has to do with with religion, which is, you know, the majority of the time, uh, that's also a direct attack on atheists' rights to to live the way they want. So a couple of examples that I use in the book, um, we see every time there is a natural disaster, whether it's a, a hurricane or a fire or even, you know, some kind of attack like 9-11, there will be someone, some pastor or preacher who says that it is a punishment from God for uh, for America's tolerance of gay people or of marriage equality or whatever it is so not only is that wrong on all accounts i um, mean deeply harmful to lgbtq people but it's a it's a huge flagrant lie that completely misrepresents science and reason and critical thinking which are things that atheists generally consider to be very important uh, when you know when a when a gay person is turned away from a business or a bakery or a florist or a job because they do not ascribe to uh to the business owners or the boss's religious beliefs. That's essentially sending the message to everybody that one religion should be treated preferentially over others. And that's something that should definitely piss atheists off. So across the board, the most egregious examples of violating LGBTQ people's civil rights are rooted in religion. And if that happens and atheists don't do anything about it, well, then the minute that we start attacking, you know, that somebody starts attacking atheist or secular folks' rights to live without religion, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really follow a similar trajectory. So honestly, the two issues are, are so closely intertwined that no, you don't have to support LGBTQ rights. I'm not saying that you're not an atheist if you don't, um, but you're actually not acting in your own best interests and in the interests of your community if, if you don't recognize uh, how important that issue is.
0: That's a that's a great answer. And the way I've been thinking about it in my head is, look, if you look in the dictionary, what does it mean to be an atheist? It's not going to say someone who you know supports LGBTQ rights. But socially speaking, practically speaking, you're right. All the same stigmas that uh, LGBTQ people face are ones we face in some way or another, too. And And like you're saying, an attack on one group is very likely an attack on the other group. Uh, From the religious right. And if you care about science and critical thinking and human rights, you should uh, be about this. This is a big deal. So uh, I appreciate that. Now, the answer I've given on Facebook, whenever people have mentioned that, (laughs) is not that. What I've said is that is literally what the entire book is about. So go (laughs) read the book uh, because I I can't fit that first answer into a tweet.
1: Yeah, So Uh, For $25, we'll answer the question.
0: (laughs) Yes. And by the way, I should say, we're putting this out on Kickstarter now, and we hope to get that out soon if everyone will donate. Uh, And eventually, I think we hope to get it on Amazon, too, so it's uh, available for people who couldn't get in on it right now. But for now... This is how we're getting it through. It's something different, by the way, if you're interested in talking about just how books work. We could have tried going to a publisher. Um, I do know some people who might have been really interested in publishing this. I've personally gone that route, and there are some benefits to it, and there are a lot of downsides to doing it that way. Um, This was really exciting because we're doing it ourselves. We have total control over the project, for better or for worse. And what's really neat about this is that... You know, we're putting out the product that we wanted to put out. Like this is the book we planned out. This is the book Camille wrote. Um there's no one stepping in and saying, "You know what? Just cut this chapter. You don't need it um for good reason. And that's one of the benefits to this. But it only works that way if people are willing to to buy that final product. So that's why uh, I'm harping on people trying to trying to kick kick into the Kickstarter campaign because, If it works like this, cool, then I hope we could do a project like this again in the future. I know it's something I personally want to do with whatever the next book is I write, but it only works if you chip in. So, Camille, thank you for joining me. If you go to Kickstarter and you type in Queer Disbelief, you will find the book. The fundraiser is going on for another few weeks, I think three more weeks until the fundraiser ends. And anyone who's interested, you could buy one copy, you could buy multiple copies. There are other perks along the way. I hope you consider doing that. Camille, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.